Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. We're glad you're able to join us today on this Tuesday afternoon. Uh, if you're coming in on the Zoom app, please uh, open up your uh, chat or your Q&A buttons or boxes and put your comments and questions in there. We'd love to hear from you while we're talking about what we're talking about today, or in fact, anything. If you have questions on anything, we'd love to hear from you. We can talk about them in, in a future program in it or this program, but just give us your, your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. We'll talk about it when we hear from you. Uh, if you're coming in on the Facebook page, uh, put your comments there. You cannot, uh, yeah, you can comment on us, but it's about a 20 second, no, 13 second delay. Just so be aware of that as well. And uh, let me bring in the panelists. How are you doing, Scott? Scott, our program director is here. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Drew. How are you today? I'm doing very good, thank you. Stephen, how are you doing? Doing well, Drew. Welcome, everybody. Yeah, good to see you. And Jonathan, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Good to see you guys. Great. Glad everyone's doing well on this. Uh, what I even can count how many days we're in isolation, so I'm not even going to bother thinking about it. But we're glad you're all here. So we're going to be talking about leopards and their spots and uh, things like that. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Scott, we're not going to be talking about leopards. Leopards. <laughs> leopards. Okay, it's the new headphones. The audio is a little muffled or something. Go ahead, take it away, Scott. Uh, we're going to be talking about lessons from lepers today. They show up several times in the Bible, and there's some pretty important lessons there. Uh, although I do want to mention this as we get started, because um, this morning when we were planning the program, I was debating whether to uh, talk about. Uh, the atrocity uh, in Minneapolis and the death of George Floyd um, and just the tragicness of that and biblical principles that just need to be different in people's minds and hearts. And then, of course, since then, there's uh, not only honorable protests, but then there's been uh, just criminal riots and things. Decided that's not where we're going to focus today in part. Um, because uh, kind of like when when uh, COVID was going on, if that's all everybody's hearing about, they're not always wanting to stay on the same topic all the time. Uh, and so we're going to look at some uh, narrative texts as well. But there are really important biblical principles that are being illustrated, uh, just sin and wickedness and foolishness. If anybody in the audience wants us to address some of those during the program, as Drew said, let us hear from you. And if that's what y'all want to talk about today, uh, there's uh, a number of things to say about that that are important. Um, and so we will go that direction. Uh, unless we hear from you though, we're gonna continue with the study uh, on these narrative texts, beginning with some fellas that were outside of the city gates in, kind of really in between a rock and a hard place. And Jonathan said, or take us there in a minute. But before he does that, somebody please just kind of describe what leprosy is and what it was like to be a leper, particularly back in the historical times of the Bible. What was it like? Well, there's extensive information given in the uh, old law about how to deal with uh, leprosy and the disease in the camp. Um, and so in Leviticus, um, chapter 14, um, there's 
kind of uh, comprehensive or chapter third chapter 13 there's kind of a comprehensive uh, idea behind what it meant to be a leper in Leviticus 13 and verse 45 and the whole chapter has to do with different types of uh, lepers and how they know how can they identify leprosy and things like that but in Leviticus 13 45 it says the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let his hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out unclean unclean and he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease he is unclean he shall live alone and his dwelling shall be outside the camp so to be a leper um, you are isolated you're alone um, if somebody got close to you it was your responsibility to cover your mouth and say, no, get away from me. You can't be close to me. Um, and so it would have been a lonely life. Uh, it would have been kind of a hopeless life. Uh, leprosy generally, I think, was kind of a death sentence um, in the eyes of different people. Whenever uh, another leper, I don't think we're going to be talking about this instance, but whenever uh, Aaron's sister Miriam um, becomes a leper, uh, he cries out uh, for mercy and says, let her not be as one dead. Um, so contracting this disease was maybe kind of one of the worst things that could have happened to you. And well, I understand too, wasn't it Scott, a, a, a long process where it starts off just as little skin irritations or something like that. And they weren't really quarantined early on, or there were, I can't remember I thought I read it where the king, there was a king with leprosy, but he was still acting in his position. I don't know if it was a, a pagan king or not, heathen king. And then it just kept, the disease itself just keeps getting worse and worse. Yeah, I've never known anybody with leprosy, so I haven't watched it in person, but I imagine like most diseases, it it starts and then builds and gets worse. And one of the things would be, for example, if somebody had COVID-19 in the past couple of months, you know what it was like when you had that and you were needing to stay away from people and, and, and that type of thing. And along with the misery is the, the disease, there's the misery of isolation but you know after a couple of weeks if you're going to recover as most people do that you get to go back to life as normal later now imagine being a leper uh in the rabbinical writings it mentions that the rabbis would sometimes throw rocks at the lepers you know to keep them away. So just imagine this miserable condition of life and so, Jonathan, let's uh, start off with that text up there in, I guess it was Samaria. Yeah, so in Second Kings chapter 7, um, the city of Samaria is besieged by uh, some Syri the Syrian army. Uh, and in verse 3 um, is where their story kind of starts, this uh, group of lepers. There are four of them. So I'll just start reading here. Uh, in verse 3 of Second Kings chapter 7. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, Let us enter the city, the famine in the, is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we also will die. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians, and if they spare our lives, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall die. And so they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians, but when they came, they found the edge of the camp of the Syrians. Behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made an army of the Syrians hear a sound of chariots and horses and the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come after us. And so they fled away into the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into the tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. 
Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. And then they said to one another, we are not doing what is right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. And so they came and they went to the city and we won't read the rest of the story, but you get the idea of what happens there. So you've got a city that's besieged, which a besieged city at this time um, was, unless they received help, was as good as dead. There's a famine in the city. You're, you're cutting off the supplies. The farmers can't go out and farm. Um, that They're going to run out of water soon. They're going to run out of food. We have an instance uh, of one besieged city in the Bible where uh, the people resort to cannibalism because they're so hungry. Uh, it's just a terrible situation to be besieged. So in the city, really, really bad. These lepers have already been exiled. They're already outside of the city because of their disease. But in the city, it's really, really bad. Outside of the city, it's really bad because you have this opposing army that's there to kill you. So they're kind of in a lose-lose situation. And they're sitting there at the gate of the city thinking, well, if we sit here, we're going to die. If we go in the city, we'll die. If we go out, we might die. But in that place, there's a chance that if we go out to the army, they may spare us. So they take the proactive approach there, which I think is one of the first lessons that you see. Sitting whenever there are problems, you can, you can think yourself to death about um, you know, the possibility of failure in every direction. But if you don't get up and do something, you're going to fail. And I think that's what the lepers find out. You know, we're just going to die here. Let's at least try something to make sure or, or to preserve our life and continue on. Um, being paralyzed with fear, I think, is a real danger for, for Christians and, and for everyone in general. And the lepers illustrate really clearly, like, sitting in fear and doing nothing accomplishes nothing. So go and at least try something um, for a benefit. Right. And so they do go in, and then they start recognizing that they, it's like uh, they're, they're in a paradise all of a sudden. They've got everything at their hands. We've got food, we've got drink, we've got everything. And they started feeling guilty. Why, though, Scott or, or Jonathan or, or Stephen, they recognize in verse 9, they did recognize they're not doing right, they're feeling guilty, this is wrong. But they said, if we're silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. What additional punishment could they be thinking of? I mean, they're going to, like you said, they're, they're, they're going to die anyway. I don't understand that one. That one. What do you think would be more punishment they think that's going to overtake them? I'm always taking it. I haven't thought that much about it. I always thought it's from the city. In other words, you've got good news. You have starving people. Uh, here's starving people. You've got a pile of food and you do nothing. You keep it to yourself. If the authorities in the city find out you did that, you've got punishment coming. Um, we need to be concerned about people that are suffering. Uh, I said I wasn't going to go, uh, plan to go that direction today, but a lot of things just keep reminding me of the situation with George Floyd. Um, there are people that have been mistreated. There are people that are suffering. And if these lepers just sit out here and say, oh, look, We've got all this food, knowing that their their brethren are dying of starvation. How wrong is that? And I think that's where I was going with it. That it's not. It could be that they're faced. They realize they're going to face punishment from the city, but the city's not going to do much to them anyway. Uh, well, they they could. We don't know. That'd be a guess. But since they're equating to right and wrong, 
could it be possible that they recognize from a moral standpoint this is wrong therefore morally we could be punished for this and so even in our state of what we're at we need to be doing what's right regardless of where i'm at yes and that they realize that they've got a duty to share this good news which has an evangelistic lesson for us today what would that be well, we need to realize the value of the good news that we have to give people and the terrible plight that people are in until they get the good news. And many times, in order for people to appreciate the good news, they need to hear the bad news. The, the challenging thing about the world we live in is people, if things are going well for them physically, they could be dead spiritually, but not know or care. And uh, the thing that we have to help people realize is how bad sin is and how good the solution is that God has given us and not keep that to ourselves. Um, how, what a shame. I mean, if it was a shame for these lepers to keep the spoils to themselves when there was a city of starving people, uh, how much greater uh, is it a shame when we who have the message of salvation from God. The salvation is not from us, but it's the message of salvation. Again, the lepers weren't providing the food. They were just telling people, there's a free feast outside if you'll just come out here and see this. And it was kind of interesting because um, if uh, they, there's some skepticism at first. They're like, I think that this is a plot from the Syrians to like draw us out of the city or whatever. And so sometimes people are skeptical at first. They're like, I've I don't know about this. What, what's going on here? But when they go out and they see, yep, there's a deserted camp of, of supplies and like the starving people run out and go and, and are filled. I do think there's a powerful message there that uh, God is the one supplying the riches and abundance. We're just telling people that it's, it's available for those who will submit. I, don't, I like what you said though. They had to go out of the city to get it. So there was something for them to do to get the good stuff, something something we have to do to achieve uh, entrance into the kingdom of heaven where the good stuff, if I can use that same terminology, is where salvation is. It's something that I have to do. I like the verse in John 1 where John the Baptist has said of Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, and Andrew starts following him. In the very next day, what does he do? First, he does what? Goes and gets his brother Peter, who becomes yeah. in some ways a lot more famous than he was. So, yeah, the good news: we should not. There, there's something extremely selfish about taking good news for ourselves. In fact, I, I'd like to take this minute to do this, and Stephen, you'll be able to describe it very quickly because you're a hymn writer. But I think there's a really powerful song that compares the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea. And it makes this point about whether or not we're going to just accept blessings and pass on or not. Stephen, could you kind of sum that up quickly for us? Yeah, so the, the hymn is called There Is a Sea. And it's kind of interesting because, I mean, if you're at all familiar with the geography of the land of Israel, um, from ancient day to modern day, you know that there's two seas. There's the Sea of Galilee in the north and the Dead Sea in the south and of course water flows from the sea of galilee it flows south along the jordan river into the dead sea which is the lowest point on earth and the saltiest body of water on earth nothing can grow there no fish are in it because it's 
completely salty and everything's dead. But the hymn simply makes the point that the Sea of Galilee is receiving rain from heaven and it gives and it's alive. It's a, it's a beautiful place. And visiting uh, the Sea of Galilee last year, it was gorgeous in January, <laughs> like just green hills, beautiful. And we went down to the Dead Sea and you just couldn't make much of a bigger contrast. It's like barren desert out down there. Um, it's pretty crazy. And so the, the whole point of it, the song, There's a Sea, is are we going to give as God has given to us? He sends his rain on the just and on the unjust, but are we going to give? Uh, or are we going to be like the Dead Sea, keep it to ourselves and die? It's kind of the idea of which sea will you be? Mm -hmm. Very good. All right. So from our first uh, lepers here, we've gotten the lesson, learn from them. Why sit here till we die? You know what a lot of people do with their life? Sit there till they die. You know, they made a decision and it was beneficial. And then when it was beneficial, <coughs> they shared that good news. Next account. Who's got another leper account? Well, we can certainly back up and talk about uh, the same context here. Second Kings chapter five, uh, the yeah. captain of the Syrian army, Naaman, lots of lessons here. Naaman is offered healing from his leprosy. And he kind of has something in his mind as to how it's going to go. He hears from his servant that there's this man of God in Israel. And so he comes down and is supposing there's going to be this grand ceremony and all this. And uh, that's not what happens. Um, Elisha, this is Second uh, Kings 5, verse 10. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. And you'd think, good news, this is wonderful. But in verse 11, but Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. It's kind of a shocking reaction from Naaman, who is in a very tough spot with this leprosy. I don't know if there's any other way he could be cleaned, except this man of God tells him, go to the Jordan River in Israel and dip seven times. And it seems like his, his reaction is primarily based on his expectations. Well, I thought that he would do this big thing and come out and, you know, wave his hand. And, and because the healing did not meet the expectations, he was about to reject it. And it takes his own servant saying, hey, is it some great thing that the prophet asked you to do? Why don't you just go wash and be clean? And he does. And he is cleansed by God's grace. And I do think there's some just some powerful lessons from that in when we come to the Lord and we hear the good news mm -hmm. of the opportunity we have to be clean from our sins. Yeah. We might be distressed by our sins, but sometimes when people hear like, oh, I got to like get baptized. I got to do this. I got to, uh, I got to give this up. You know, what's this repentance thing? And like people often will reject the gift of salvation and cleansing from sin because it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. And they just assume that God is this way or God is that way. There's a lot of competing ideas about God going around. And we have to come to scripture and say, no, this is where salvation is, but you have to take it 
at God's word. It may not be what you expect. It may not be what you want. But if we're willing to humble ourselves and accept it, there's cleansing there. John. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Another thing that I notice uh, about uh, Naaman's reaction, um, he seems to be uh, kind of offended at the fact that Elisha wants him to go to the Jordan River, which was a disgusting river, a dirty river, in comparison to these great rivers that were back in Samaria that he mentions, the, the Abana and the uh, Farpar rivers. And it goes to show, I think, and, and the, his servant really brings this out, uh, humility has a lot of value. Um, and it seems like at the beginning of the story, Naaman is very arrogant. And uh, I, I think like the servant, the servant kind of points that out. Like uh, if there was something really incredible for him to, to tell you to do that was kind of flashy, you'd probably do that. But this is a more humiliating type of action uh, in comparison, but you're not interested in doing that, although it's offering the same reward. Um, where it, we do see in the story, thankfully, uh, Naaman humbles himself, goes and he dips and he, he does that in the Jordan River and he receives the blessing. But a lot of times we can be blinded by our pride um, to see, you know, what the actual benefit would be if we were actually humble uh, in approaching God. And so that's a lesson that Naaman learns in this chapter that um, even whenever you're called to do something um, that maybe looks kind of lesser, there's a lot of value in doing that. And Jesus illustrates that a lot in his ministry as well. And tying that in with baptism, the, the, those two things, you can see them both in Second Kings 5, uh, how easy it is, but it requires humbling. And, you know, it, it, his servant, his, if he'd asked you to do some great thing, you would have done it. This is easy to do, but it, it, it rubs against his pride. He doesn't want to humble himself to do this simple thing. And that baptism is, uh, it is an act of, of humiliation or recognition of where we are and who we're being. If you look at Romans 6, we crucify the old man. And so here's this life. Oh, look at all I've done. But it's looking at all I've done and realizing what I've done is sinful and wicked and I've rebelled against God. That guy needs to die. And what do you do with a dead person? Bury with Christ into his death. And then we rise by the power of the blood of Christ and grace. Our sins are gone away, not something we've accomplished, to now be a servant of righteousness. There's a human, it's, it's easy. It's an easy act to do, but it calls for humbleness. And it did in 2 Kings 5, and it does today. Drew. No, I was fine. I thought you had your hand up. Oh, no, no. Okay, sorry. All right. Um, anything further on? Oh, let's, let's get the little postscript. Uh, the leprosy is now off of Naaman. Uh, and what happens next? A little interesting detail. So after that, he, he returns back to the prophet, um, back to the man of God, and he wants to pay him for it. Um, and the prophet refuses the payment. Uh, and so Naaman leaves, but the prophet, uh, Elisha's servant, uh, doesn't feel the same way about rejecting the payment. Um, he wants the payment, and so he follows after uh, under the roost that Elisha sent him, um, and he gets uh, some of the payment for himself uh, as a result of his greed. And ironically, um, he inherits the leprosy of Naaman. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, very interesting postscript.
Anything further on that before we go to another account? All right, let's go to Luke chapter 17 and the 10 lepers. Luke chapter 17. And let me see if now I'm not going to try to pull it up on screen because I've been having trouble with that lately. Well, let me try one time. There it is. Lately, when I try to pull up Blue Letter Bible, I'll have it there, but it doesn't show up. So uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 17, and we want verse 11. All right. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered the vision, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. Lifting up their voices, they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. What do you notice right there? I mean, what are they doing right? They're recognizing Jesus as the Master. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that he can, he's the one that can extend mercy on them. That's right. What else are they doing right? They're also doing what they're supposed to do as lepers. They're standing at a distance. <laughs> yeah. And so they're lifting up their voices, you know, from a distance, and they're asking for mercy. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourself to the priest. If you go back to the law, if you were cleansed from leprosy, you needed to be examined by the priest to confirm, yes, you're clean. As they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And he was what? He was a Samaritan. Yeah. And what's Jesus' question? Where are the others? Weren't there nine others? Where yeah. are they? Yeah. Weren't ten cleansed? Where are the nine? was no one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner. So it sounds to me like the other nine were not Samaritans, uh, and this one was, is my impression. Um, and he said, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. There are several lessons we can learn from this uh, short account. What do you immediately see here that we need to learn? gratitude i mean that's that's huge is how many times do we ask things of the lord and receive things and then we don't say thank you um, right. and shame on us for that and we plead and plead and plead and plead and beg and plead and plead and plead and beg and plead and plead and beg and plead and plead and then we get it and maybe go thank you <laughs> or maybe not yeah yeah let's let's spend a couple more minutes on gratitude why is gratitude so important well gratitude really shows kind of uh what's in your heart um you see like how this man approaches jesus which is just really incredible um he he comes back to him um and in verse 16 it says he fell on his face at jesus's feet giving him thanks 
Um, coupled with gratitude is also humility again. You see the humility here. You can't get much lower than on your face on the ground. Um, that's about as low as you can physically get. And so again, a leper on his face. Yeah. 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 And so again, like you see at the beginning of this story, the lepers, they kind of realize their position. Um, we need to stay at a distance. We need to cry out for mercy. And when he gets it, he still remembers his position before Jesus. I need to be on my face before him uh, and thanking him. So you see gratitude and humility are coupled together as well. Yes. And I like this verse from 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge one died for all, therefore all died. He died for all that they that, should, that, they that live should no longer live to themselves but unto him who for their sake died and rose again. If we really appreciate what Jesus did for us, we will act in his service. Um, we call him the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18, but he's also an ungrateful servant, isn't he? To be hey. that merciful involves a lack of gratitude. Mm -hmm. If you, how, yeah, it's just amazing. And one other comment I want to make about gratitude is, uh, is this. One habit of thought that we can all get into is self-pity. Now, when we, are, when we are having a rough time and in mourning, the Bible doesn't say, you know, make the fellow who's in mourning laugh. It says, weep with those that weep. We're going to go through different things in life. And sometimes there's, you know, sometimes your child is born, you know, and sometimes your child dies. Uh, sometimes you find that you don't have a disease or you're going to get better. Sometimes you find out you do have a disease and it's terminal. There's ups and downs in life. There's suffering and pain and, and wonderful things. And so there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. Uh, but you know, if we let, if we don't enjoy the times to rejoice and we wallow in the times to mourn, we can end up in a really ugly place and that's just wallowing in self-pity. Always feeling sorry for ourselves, always being a martyr. Why does everybody else have everything better? Why, you know, and I, one of the best cures for self-pity is gratitude. When you, it's, it's hard to be really, really grateful and feel really, really sorry for yourself at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so another song that we have, when upon life's billows, you are tempest tossed. When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost. Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Gratitude is really important. What else in this, uh, moving on from gratitude, what else in this do you see? It mentions uh, specifically that he was a Samaritan, showing you the difference between the Samaritan and the others who I'm assuming would have been uh, Jews. Um, first of all, Samaritans and Jews don't get along, but in the world of leprosy, you're not either. Apparently, you, the lepers are the you know, that you're facing a disease dying together. But the fact that he's a Samaritan and he's the one that comes back, 
Um, uh, I remember the, the, the story of a good Samaritan. Right. A Samaritan had helped the man on the road, not a Jew. And then yeah. I'm reminded of the Samaritans who came out and accepted Jesus as the Messiah after the woman at the well told them who he met. And so they, there's something about the Samaritans who are rejected by the Jews. Uh, somehow in the three examples, that I, maybe there's more, they seem to levitate to accept Jesus. Whereas the Jews, there's really no one really accepting him in numbers at all. I just find that to be interesting. And here we see a, a man who is one of those Samaritans and he, bows down and worships at Jesus' feet for what he's done. I'm not trying to make anything more out of these. I'm making an observation. Several times, there's an underdog theme in Luke to the details that are selected. And several times, you'll see these. So the Jews look down on the Samaritans. But several times, you see the, the, the Samaritans being listed as an example, the role model. Jonathan. Yeah, I think um, just uh, going on one of the points that Drew made, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about before. Um, in this story, lep leprosy is the great equalizer. Um, yeah. Before these men were lepers, I imagine they were probably like everyone else in the society, like your Samaritans stay away, but all 10 of them are together uh, when they have leprosy. And that's very similar, I think, to maybe one of the points that Paul is making uh, in the opening chapters of Romans, that sin is the great equalizer. Um, it doesn't matter where you're a Jew or a Gentile, you're all in sin, you all need God's grace. And these lepers realize that, that they're all in the same boat, they all need Jesus. Um, and, and it's good for us to realize as well, um, we're not any better off based on our background or where we came from or what family we're a part of. Uh, if you're in sin, you're in sin. Right. And you're going to die in sin if you don't come out of it. Stephen. Mm -hmm. And something else about this, I think it's interesting that he waits kind of till the end. Luke records kind of, oh, hey, one came back and falls on his face and gives thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. And again, to the people reading this, that just would have been like, you know, to us, we read through that and like, oh, cool, he's a Samaritan. That because of the prejudice in the days of Jesus against the Samaritans, that would have come as a shock, I think, to the Jewish readers of this book. And, and it goes to show that there's times where prejudice can exist and yep. that, that needs to be challenged, needs to be turned on its head when there's good that is from a class of people, whatever background, the, the, the good needs to be seen there. And this is, of course, coming back to the days that we're living in right now. Yep. Um, just thinking about see the good that's going on here and work against the prejudice uh, this is uh jesus one of the things that jesus did was turn the prejudices of his day on their head and get people to realize how am i thinking about other people this way this is this is terrible and and one of the lessons i think and talk, come back to that specifically more in just a minute in a, lot, a little bit on a broader scale besides just the thing that he was a samaritan is that in all sorts of ways, it's too easy for us sometimes to presume who we think will do good and who we will think will do wrong. You know, if somebody lives in an, on a nice cul-de-sac in an upper middle class neighborhood and, you know, they, they keep their lawn nice and, uh, you know, drive a nice SUV, you might think, oh, that's a nice person. That's not, not necessarily so. 
And sometimes, sometimes the sometimes the best people come from circumstances where you didn't expect it to be. In fact, Jesus himself, Isaiah 53, he grew up as a root out of a dry ground. He's from Galilee, which is kind of looked down on. And then the Galileans looked down on Nazareth. And that's where Jesus comes from. So this idea of prejudging people and assuming that, well, you can't expect much out of that person. That person's not going to be a good person. Uh, it looks like nine Jews walk away without saying thank you, and one Samaritan does what's right. Very good. Yeah, which when you think about that word prejudice, I mean, pre-Judas or judicial is like the idea is you're, you're making judgments before you see the character of someone. And they would, might have looked at, I mean, these are two classes of despised people, lepers and then a Samaritan. So you couldn't get much lower than a Samaritan leper in Jesus's day. And yet this is the one who is coming back to Jesus, giving thanks to God. Yeah. And I, I also just wonder what the other nine thought when the one leper turns around and is thanking God and goes off. If they weren't a little pricked, like, oh yeah, <laughs> I should like go say thank you or whatever. And, but apparently they don't, I mean, I don't know if they finished going to the priest or what, but like, they don't go back and say thank you to Jesus. And you just think about that, that the type of character that you see is, is the focus here is that it's in a place that the people of Jesus day would have been shocked that that's where it came from, but they shouldn't have been shocked. Right. Right. Another yeah. lesson. Go ahead, Scott. Uh, uh, all 10 of them believed Jesus was the master, that Jesus was the one that could have mercy on them. All 10 of them did. And they all, it says they lifted up their voices. But yet in verse 19, he says to the leper, I'm sorry, to the Samaritan who was healed, who was already healed. And he makes this statement, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Well, didn't the other nine their faith make them well too well jesus made them well that's the bottom line but here i get the impression i could be wrong but i get the impression jesus is talking more about being well just in the surface of his health could that be possible maybe uh when he says rise and go your way your faith has made you well i i think he's referring to what has already happened, that he's been cleansed of his leprosy, uh, primarily. Uh, okay, because then that, that would then make it true for the other ones. Yes. Uh, it, 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 Jesus said in verse 17, we're not the 10 cleansed. So Jesus did the miracle for all of them. Mm, one, okay. Appreciate it. And, you know, you think of 10 people that come to Christ. Oh, yeah, I want forgiveness. I want forgiveness. I want forgiveness. And then nine don't really appreciate it. And one really does. Uh, another point is don't go by what most people are doing. Okay, so you got these lepers. They can't be a part of society. And so they're with each other. You know, they're, they're their group. And within their group, now the distinction that, hey, you were a Jew, you were a Samaritan, has kind of become insignificant because you're all unclean lepers. But in their group, as they're walking away, 
What if nine of them had turned around? What do you suppose the 10th one would have done? Probably maybe around as well. Yeah, because well, everybody else is going back and thinking, Jesus, I ought to do that. What if eight of them turned around? What do you suppose two of them probably would have done? Or at least one of them. Mm -hmm. But only one turned around. So imagine were some of those lepers, right? And uh, Stephen turns around. And I look, oh, oh Stephen's going to go say thank you. But then I look at Drew, and Drew's not going back. Jonathan's going, not going back. And we'll use the Wednesday guys. Chase isn't going back. Jeff's not going back. Joe's not going back. The, a stupid and foolish mistake is we can end up doing what? Along with the crowd. Yeah, well, most of the guys aren't doing it, so I don't think I need to. You know, Stephen's the aberration there. Really important lessons here. Drew, I got a couple things to say, but go ahead. Yeah, I want to add to that. Those other nine are looking out. Are they lepers anymore? No. no. What are they? Jew, Jews, and a Samaritan. Ooh, <laughs> that's, no? that's a lot. Yeah, so the Jews, or well, the Samaritans <laughs> only went back. I'm definitely not going back there. Mm -hmm. hey, one guy, well, yeah, but it, you know, it was that Samaritan, by the way. And uh, hey, we're back to things use. That, that could be that. So there's back. no reason for us to hang out with him anymore because we're out of the disease. That's interesting. Uh, but just think over time, uh, Noah is building the ark. What would his neighbors have thought of it? Uh, the 12 spies go in to spy out the land. Joshua and Caleb say we should trust in God. But you remember those other guys? Mm -hmm. I don't remember their names. We don't remember their names because they're not memorable people. But at the time, hey, 10 guys say, no way. And just, just these two say we should. We make a huge mistake when we follow the multitude. Because Matthew 7, which road is the multitude on? Destruction. One that leads to destruction. Yes. Don't go on that way. And, and to tie back into the George Floyd uh, uh, killing, we saw what that one officer did, just refused to lift his knee off of his neck after he pled and pled for breath, after the bystanders are pleading for breath, and after he's become unresponsive, he just keeps his knee there. But what about those other three officers? Why didn't, I, I would like to believe that they wouldn't have done that. But you know what they didn't do? They didn't turn to him and say, you have got to get off his neck. Now, what if two of them had? What if two of them had said to uh, Chauvin, hey, get off his neck. He can't breathe. What are you doing? Then he might have today. And then the other fellow might said, yeah, get off his neck. But guess what? None of them would stand up to him. And when nobody is standing up, and then they don't want to listen to the, to the people on the, on the sidewalk, there was a stubbornness and a selfishness there. But among their circle, nobody's standing up for what's right. And so nobody did. Whereas if one person, it might have made a difference. If two, if three. The thing is, right is right. And even if your crowd is not doing the right thing, what's still right?
do the right, right thing. And this Samaritan, he it doesn't does it hinder him? Wait, nobody else is turning around and going back to thank Jesus. Does that slow him down? No. He does what's right. Always remember that be the person that does right even when nobody else does and maybe it will influence other people to do right but don't be the one that's doing wrong because you're going around with the with the crowd that won't speak up and do right well our time is up all right. Well, thank you guys for uh, your questions, um, for the discussion. Um, for our audience, if you guys have any questions or thoughts um, that you'd like us to discuss here on BibleQuest, you can submit those um, to BibleQuest.tv. Uh, we'll be happy to uh, answer those questions that you have or uh, go over any Bible uh, scriptures or anything that you'd like us to read or, or talk through here on the show. Um, that's all that we have for this week. We hope to see you all next week, Lord willing.